Welcome back. This week is Parshas Vayigash, and we're going to continue learning the halachas of Tznius in the workplace, and everywhere else for that matter. And this is the third part. So before I go further with this, I want to share a story just told to me by an old friend, a chavrus of mine from Yeshiva, who I met by the Yachekala that I just participated in. He's working as an attorney for a high-powered law firm in New York, a, a very coveted and high-paying position. Now, I, I knew that he didn't get that job right out of law school. He hadn't attended one of the top-notch schools. He went to the equivalent of a community college, and initially out of school, he got a, a job with a small firm. And he told me that he worked very, very hard to get this job. He clawed his way to the top, to use his, his words. And he told me the following thing. He said that he had heard a drasha from his rav, Bashal Shuddis, about all about shaking hands with women should be avoided at all costs. And he thought to himself, who is my rav really talking to? Most of these guys in shul, they don't work in an environment where that even comes up. The only person that's really relevant is, is to me. And he resolved not to shake hands with women anymore, even though in the beginning of his career he did, because he had gotten the psaac that he can but he resolved that he's not going to do it anymore, no matter what. And soon after he got, after this happened, he got this interview with his current company, and it was something he had been trying very hard to get. And to give you an idea how important this was, his current job was paying him about sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year, and the new job could pay potentially one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year. So it's a difference of more than a hundred thousand dollars in salary. Huge, huge, huge difference. And nevertheless, by this interview, he stood fast and he didn't shake hands. And rather, he opted to explain to each woman who put out a hand, or partner or whoever, why he doesn't shake hands. And he got the job. And when he was being brought around the company to be introduced by, to the many partners, it kept on coming up. People kept on sticking out their hands and he had to keep on explaining that he doesn't do that. And so much so that they eventually just started sending someone ahead to warn, warn the woman, don't put out your hands. He's not going to shake it. So when they were finally done, the senior partner who was leading him around said, listen, next time, the next function we're about to have, make sure your hands are full of <laughs> something. And after all said and done, he kept his values. And it didn't affect him one bit, Baruch Hashem. It's really a beautiful story and very powerful. Moving on to the more hashkafic aspect of Tznius in the office and everywhere else, let's work through a number of different scenarios that come up. And our aim here is to establish and keep a healthy from boundary between men and women. There are several different issues to be conscious of, and there are two good books that I'm aware of that were written on this topic. One is called Nine to Five, and the other is a book by Ari Wasserman for woman specifically called making it work but the the woman's version has something an extra i forget what it's called something extra to it but that's that's the the title of the book is making it work the the basic halachas of tzniyas certainly always need to be kept and dress but in addition a, a person should see to it that the way they dress doesn't communicate anything except business formality and professionalism um, dressing in a way that provokes people to make comments and notice is obviously the first pitfall and makes keeping boundaries and proper sneestic distance very difficult. So moving on, I'll say at the outset that these aren't 
halachic considerations as much as they are hashkafic or proper decorum. In a certain way, they're much more important than the halachic components of Tzniyas because there are things that Chazal didn't even find important to say. It was assumed that a from man or woman would, by definition, conduct themselves this way. And at the same time, being that they aren't halacha per se, they depend on context. Different work environments have different norms, and it's important to talk it over with the Rav to determine what makes sense and what's the appropriate course of action for each person. So let's begin with a good example of something which can change drastically from one environment to another. Ideally, a man should not address a woman by her first name. Neither should a woman address a man by his first name. In the from offices in Lakewood, Baruch Hashem, and many of them, where Tzniyas is sacrosanct, this is a hard and fast rule. Everybody's either miss, Mr. This or Mrs. That or Miss. And this is a very valuable tool, tool to keep a distance, distance between the genders and keep things professional and informal. And formal. However, this would be very dependent on the context of each person's workplace. I know heard and have seen different people that the climate they work in simply doesn't allow them to use last names. You know, that's a given in their office that everybody refers to each other by first name and it would be considered rude, standoffish, maybe even worse to start referring to people as Mr. or Mrs. It would be worthwhile to try to institute this if you can, but if not, avoid using the name as much as possible. If you say someone's name many times in a conversation, it's a lot warmer and closer than if you only use it when necessary to get the person's attention or to address them. Another important point is to avoid getting involved in personal conversations. Talking about work is necessary, obviously, but having conversations with the opposite gender about your own private life or about their private life is something that should really be curtailed. Now, sometimes... You might be very good about that, but they go come over and want to share with you or talk over a problem, but it isn't appropriate. And one should look for every opportunity to get out of the conversation without obviously hurting the person. Many people would just get the hint if you demonstrate, you know, being uncomfortable and a lack of interest in continuing the conversation. And honesty in this case is important so as not to offend the other person and, and explaining that it's a rule in your family not to discuss private matters in the office and just to keep privacy private, and hopefully it'll be respected. Even if the conversation is not personal, small talk, politics, gossip, are also a breach in sneers. All these forms of casual conversation have an element of bonding in them, and as much as it seems important to reduce tension and formality in the office, they're unhealthy. And again, it should be avoided as much as possible, and a rav should be consulted if one deems it necessary to form such relationships for the sake of work. It should be done with guidance. Being alone in a room with the opposite gender, as we already spoke about yichud, but it's a very bad practice even if the laws of yichud are not violated. The, the door should always be left open if possible, and if it's up to you, the conversation should rather take place in a more open environment. Now, obviously, this isn't always a choice. You know, your boss might call you in and ask you to close the door, or you might be the boss and have to have a private meeting, sensitive conversation with an employee. Whatever is in your power to mitigate the setting of being secluded with the other person, it should be done. 
better situation is is going out to eat, a lunch, or to have coffee with a coworker to discuss a project or work on something together. Um, sometimes, actually, you're kind of forced to do that because you can't stay in the office because you're the only two there and there will be a yichud issue. So you actually are forced to go out somewhere, and that's that's difficult. It's also a, pro- a practice which should be discouraged, and if it's necessary, don't go alone. There should be more people there in the meeting, more women or men, depending on what you are. I saw another nice suggestion to help keep distance is to for, avoid referring to yourself and a coworker of the opposite gender as we. For example, you shouldn't say we need to go to the boss about this. Rather, say the boss has, boss has to be notified about this. Um, I read on a website where people were discussing this topic the following post. This is a, a man writing that my first day on the on my first job out of Kyle, the woman sitting behind me, who was not Jewish, in a show of friendship was asking me about my family. So I mentioned that I was married with children. She looked at my hand and saw no ring. I explained that many Orthodox Jewish men do not wear a wedding band. Her reaction caught me off guard. No ring, she exclaimed. How do you keep yourself from getting into trouble? And it took me a while to really understand the bewilderment expressed in her question. That's what he wrote. And that being said, it is a good idea for a married man to display a picture of his family or a wedding picture if he doesn't wear a wedding ring as to warn off potential flirtatious behavior by coworkers. So all in all, it's most important to use one's seichel, your common sense. And if something doesn't feel right, it most likely isn't right. And don't hesitate to speak up and find a way to avoid such behavior and inform people that you don't appreciate it. Yesterday, we either went to or participated from afar in the amazing Sima Shas that took place. And I went, and being there, being surrounded by close to 100,000 Jews, and knowing that there are another 20,000 in Barclays and thousands all over the globe, all rejoicing together, it made an, a, a powerful impression upon me. Particularly when we were all dancing, and you could see just row after row after row of Yidden holding hands and dancing and singing, Ashreinu Matei Chalkeinu, was all inspiring. And it made me think that in the Beis HaMikdash, during the Simchas Beis HaSheva, this is probably what it was like. Truth is, I didn't even know how they could, prob- how they could have fit that many Jews <laughs> into the Beis HaMikdash during the Simchas Beis HaSheva. But what I was thinking is that, look, you know, we all... As Jews, we would love to come together and do this and, and just be besimcha together and rejoice together, dance together for Avedis Hashem. And we just need like a good uh, excuse, something that can justify the expense and planning and preparation that it takes to coordinate an event like this and bring together hundreds of thousands of Jews. But we, as long as we have a good excuse, we do it. And in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, in the time of when Kaiser lived in Eretz Yisrael, that good excuse was every single Yantav. Every single Yantav, we all came together, every Jew. Everybody was hived to be Eul Regal, and we all came together, and we all were, did Simchas Yantav together. Pesach was celebrated together, everybody sang Hallel together, that an Amen Yehoshim Rabbah could be heard throughout Yerushalayim. Hallel, it says, was heard throughout the whole city of Yerushalayim. It made the, 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 the roofs pop off from the language of Gemara. 
So it's, it was a, a feeling of what Hashem really wants us to be, how ideally we're meant to be, is to live together that way. Rav Hirsch has such a beautiful thought that he talks about on this parasha, very much at this point. In this week's parasha, Yosef finally reveals himself to his brothers, and initially all he says is, I'm Yosef, is my father still alive? And at that point, his brothers are overcome with surprise and are speechless. And this was, Chazal said, this was a rebuke. And he was telling them, why weren't you thinking about my father all those years when you sold me? But then Yosef takes a different tack. He begins to console his brothers. He says, don't, don't worry. Don't let it bother you that you sold me here because it was to preserve life that Hashem sent me here. Hashem sent me before you to provide a remnant of life so the land, to the, in the land so that we can flourish into a large nation. So he says, you see, you weren't the ones to send me here. Hashem sent me here, made me the chief advisor to Parah and the head of his household and to the whole Mitzrayim. This is his, his words of consolation that he's giving them. He then asks them to return to Yaakov and inform him of the news and bring all his family to Mitzrayim. And he falls upon their necks, kisses them and cries, and only then do they begin to speak to him. Rav points out that there's almost no story in Tanakh or our history that the machinations of Hashem and his plan are so clearly detailed, maybe with the exception of the Megillah, he says it's the living commentary to a Pasuk in Mishlei. Rav Mechoylel Koyl, Hashem, that's Rav, he, he creates all that happens with Seicher Ksil, the Seicher Ivrim, and he enlists the fools and he enlists the sinners. Hashem manipulates the people who, are think, they're, who think they're acting in their own best interests, maybe even have malicious intent, to work for his plan and ultimately, ultimately make his goal achieved. He quotes Chazal that say that from two ounces of silk, from Hashanagamara, uh, Shnei something Ameshi, meaning the embroidery of, of Yesus' coat, our forefathers went down to Mitzrayim, and the Brisbane of Sarum was fulfilled. Meaning to say, look how easily Hashem implemented his plan and made all the gears turn with something as so significant as a little coat. Hashem manipulated people's emotions, their actions followed as a result, and one thing flowed after another. So he explains that. If Klaiso would have remained in Canaan, they remained in Eretz they would not have de- developed into a nation. As they grew in numbers, they would have been scattered among the inhabitants. And to become a nation without intermingling, they had to come in the midst of a nation who, in principle, were opposed to the whole nature of Jews. And that was Egypt, because in particular, they, Jews were a pastoral nation. Their, their wealth was from sheep, and the Egyptians despised that. They worshipped the sheep. He writes that in the same way, the, the bigotry that built the ghettos of the Middle Ages was the most active means in Hashem's hand to keep us afar from the culture of the non-Jews and to create that sense of community, which is so exclusive to us. In order that we would have a segregated area to live in, which was Gaishem, it was only possible because Yeshua was a ruler of the tribe and was able to arrange that for us. And in order that no Egyptian could mock Jews as a foreign settler, just before they arrived, Yosef had transferred all natives out of their property and land and resettled them in strange places. And a similar thing had happened in Europe when the Jews went into Gullus after the second Corbin because it had already been flooded by a steady migratory stream of 
immigrants, the Jews were not alone, and that's what happened in this country after World War II. There were immigrants from all over. And lastly, he remarks that the, the same way Kali Yisrael went down to Mitzrayim as a result of jealousy and hatred, and they had to endure the melting pot of suffering in a strange place in order to bring them all together. As the Midrashim say, Kali Yisrael reinforced themselves in Chesed and helping one another in Mitzrayim, suffering together, being the foreigners, being oppressed, brought us all together. And he writes, that's the purpose of this Golis as well, to correct that lack of love and peace between ourselves. So we're put in a situation where everybody around us is our enemy. And we have to stand together. And that's something which us as Jews have been feeling, been be, being brought to our attention more and more these days. And now when we had this Siyam Shas, which demonstrated to us more than anybody else how powerful our love for each other really is and how much we just wish we had an opportunity and an excuse to get together and dance together and sing to Hashem. So we can really hope that perhaps if we, we would work on this and would reinforce this and this connection would be revived, the love would be rekindled, the purpose of Golis would become obsolete and then we would be able to go back to Eretz Yisrael and have this kind of celebration three times a year. Have a good Shabbos.